Well, thank you for being with us today. I know you have choices in where you spend your time. And those of you online, thank you for being with us today as well. I want to begin a series today on the miracles of Jesus. And I invite you to join me in the book of Matthew, if you will. We're going to look at chapter 8, and uh, we're actually in this series going to be going through chapter 8 through chapter 9. And just kind of a background here, this follows immediately after Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so as we start this new series from Matthew 8 and 9, uh, we're going to see 10 miracles of Jesus. And I just want you to know that God is still a miracle-working God. Why do doctors sometimes take x-rays and CAT scans and find cancer, and then they come back and it's not there? And they don't know why. Well, a miracle happened. And as we look at chapter 8 and 9, I just want you to kind of keep this in your thought, that this is immediately following the Sermon on the Mount of chapters 5 through 7, and these two sections are connected. And if you take the whole of it, Matthew 5 through Matthew 9, as a section of Scripture, you will find that it emphasizes the power and authority of Jesus. You'll see how much power he has over mankind's problems. And he demonstrates through a series of miracles that power over various issues. And I want you to, first of all, see this scripture. We're going to start it off in chapter 4 because chapter 4 introduces the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to notice what Matthew 4 describes Jesus' ministry, how it describes it. It says this, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Now, with that scripture still up, I want you to see there are some action verbs there of what he did. Notice this, there is teaching, preaching, and healing. He taught, he preached, and he healed. And there are ten miracles in this series, and these ten miracles, you're going to see it. Demonstrate Jesus' power over sickness, and I want to just throw these all out in, the, in S words. You'll see that he has power over sickness. Over suffering, over Satan, over your surroundings, and over sin. So he has power over all these things. Now, there are not only just miracles in these chapters of 8 and 9. The ten miracles are also combined with four conversations that Jesus has with various people. Two would-be disciples he converses with, the Pharisees he converses with, John the Baptist's disciples he has conversation with, and then his own disciples he has conversation with. But the miracles focus on Jesus' power and the conversations, every single one of them, 
have to do with discipleship? How many of you know that that's what Jesus called us to make? He didn't call us to just make a decision, make decisions for Jesus. Well, I made a decision to follow Jesus. Okay, you made a decision to follow Jesus, but are you following Jesus? Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you a true, loyal follower? That is what a disciple means. So together with these ten miracles and these four conversations, they present Jesus as the authoritative Son of God who not only preaches the good news of God's Word and of His kingdom, but He demonstrates that preaching through miraculous words. Now that may bring up a quote of the Apostle Paul where he said, I didn't come to you just with persuasive words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of God's power. And people today in this year of 2024 need to see the demonstration of God's power. Amen? Now, read with me Matthew 8, 1 through 4. I'll have it up on the screen. When he had come down from the mountain... Sermon on the Mount, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, or bowed down before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Then immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Bow with me, please. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our heart, that you would change our lives, that you would manifest your will through us, to us, and all around us. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray today. Amen. When Jesus came, the Bible says that he came, chapter 4, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and God's kingdom refers to his rule. How many of you know we are now, when Adam sinned, he literally gave up the kingdom of earth to Satan? Why are things the way they are in the world today? Why do people hate and hurt and steal and kill? Satan's the landowner. We gave over all that authority to him. But yet God came to show us his kingdom through the person of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is among you. So he showed us how the kingdom of heaven works. And we find that it literally every single time overpowers the kingdom of the devil. Every time. So he preaches God's rule, God's kingdom, and extends that Over this realm, as demonstrated through Jesus' power in his miracles over sickness, Satan, suffering, surroundings, or even nature, and particularly over sin. Jesus' miracles were never done for the purpose of elevating himself. It was never done for his own benefit. They were done for the benefit of others. And there's a threefold purpose that I want you to, if you're writing anything down, of Jesus' purpose for miracles. And last week I said, what was it that, that God desires? He desires 
Mercy, someone said it, not sacrifice. That's what he desires. Remember he told, he, t- he would tell these Pharisees, you guys need to go check this out. Go find out what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, I'm more interested in the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. And you'll find it. We'll find that. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Jesus actually operated in the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is that the threefold purposes of Jesus' miracles, first of all, it demonstrates his compassion for people as he heals them, as he delivers them from Satan's power, from his authority. And last week we learned he desires mercy, not sacrifice. Secondly, his miracles also revealed him as the Messiah in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Because the Old Testament prophesied the Messiah would do the very things he did. And so the Old Testament spoke of these miracles that Jesus would perform when he came, and he did. And the third thing is, is that Jesus' miracles also taught spiritual truths. Because each miracle was designed to teach us something about sin, about salvation, and about our relationship with God. Remember, sometimes after Jesus would heal somebody, like the woman, uh, he didn't necessarily heal her, but remember the woman caught in the very act of adultery? Now, did he condemn her? Did he, was he letter of the law, or was he spirit of the law? He just simply said, hey, yeah, Moses said to stone her, but you know what? Any of you that are without sin, you guys go ahead and pick up the first stone and throw it at her. And they all just start dropping their rocks and walking away. He could have. He could have picked up a rock. He could have done what Moses said to do. He said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, there's none. And he said, neither do I accuse you. But here's where he went. He said, go and sin no more. So he's talking to her about a very important thing, and she follows him. Compassion actually had the result of somebody giving all they had to him instead of just letter of the law. Are you with me? So the first three miracles that Matthew describes here in chapters 8 and 9 are all going to be healing miracles. They're going to be healing miracles that are very unlikely types of people that receive them. And in the first three miracles, I'll just give you a little bit of a preview. We're going to, I've titled this message today, uh, Cleansing a Leper. Okay, so he cleanses a leper. We're going to see that he touches a Gentile. We're going to see that he touches a woman. And lepers, I want to see this. I want you to see this. Lepers, Gentiles, and women were all despised by the Jewish people of that day. They had a lower place and rank for them. Lepers, Gentiles, and women. Lepers, Gentiles, and women, can I just announce to you today, are all examples of people who are not allowed to fully participate in worship at the temple. And yet, all three of these you're going to find are the first ones Jesus touches. 
the first ones to receive God's grace, the first ones to declare the miracle power of Jesus as He heals their bodies. Now, yes, He's already turned, he's turned water into wine, but I'm talking about the healing miracles of Jesus. So today we're going to look first at the healing miracle of the man with leprosy. Now, I want you to first of all see this in Matthew 8 and understand even in 2024, Jesus has power to cleanse. He has the power to cleanse. See, there's a lot of people right now living life feeling filthy, dirty. If I would sit and talk with them and they would find out I was my preacher, they would go, you know, if you knew all the things I did, you wouldn't even want to talk to me. No, it really doesn't matter all the things you're doing that are making you feel filthy. The answer is God can clean you up out of every one of those things. So, in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it shows us that Jesus has the power to cleanse. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go back to it. We're going to break it down here uh, a little bit. So, look there in verse 1 again. But I want you to, number one, notice that Jesus has the power to cleanse. He makes clean. No one does laundry like Jesus. Amen? And large crowds, we already know, the Bible says, followed him in verse 1. So these, these large crowds, remember this, he's got a large group around him. And they come down the mountain after his sermon on the mount. And let's look again at verse 1 where we read, When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. So this takes place immediately after the Sermon on the Mount. Large crowds are continuing to follow him when he comes down from the mountains. Pharisees are seeing all of this. Pharisees are getting jealous. And however, we need to understand that Jesus doesn't want just large crowds. And I think everyone that pastors a church needs to hear this. I would love a large crowd. I want the church to grow. I want to be able to preach to a lot of folks. But listen, Jesus was not just interested in large crowds. Jesus wants disciples. Because you can pastor a large church full of heathens. You can have a big group of people that are there meeting to just have social visits. But are they truly walking with Jesus day in and day out? Amen? That's the kind of people that Jesus wanted with him. In fact, as you get further on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus says something in the book of John, and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And guess what? The Bible said, and many left him. They're like, man, we, that's weird. We can't do that. And then he looks at his disciples and he said, are you going to leave me too? And you know, the disciples, they didn't get it either. They were thinking that was pretty weird. But he was speaking about his body and his blood. Unless you accept him and what he did on, was going to do on the cross, you had no part in him. So, we need to understand that he's not just wanting crowds, he's wanting disciples. He doesn't want people who will just follow him around. He wants people who will follow him as Lord and Savior because there's a lot of people following him around just to eat, you know, people that he... You know, five bread, you know, two fish, five bread. He's feeding them from 
a miracle, and they're just coming to get more, more food. See another miracle. So I want you to understand something here. It says that in verse 2 that the leper, literally, he's submitting himself to Jesus. It says this, we meet this leper for the first time. Let's read it. And behold, a leopard came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, I want you to hear this. Leprosy was very bad. Still is today. Leprosy not only affected you physically, it affected you socially, and it affected you spiritually. Couldn't go to church. Couldn't be around people. You looked a mess. The Old Testament law was very clear. You can read it in Leviticus chapter 13. It was very clear about anyone with any types of infectious skin disease. We're told in Leviticus 13, 45, and 46 that their clothes had to be torn. So can you imagine just taking your, you know, polo shirt and ripping it and tearing it, and you're, you know, you're just shredded in your, in, your, in your outfit? So you already stand out, and their head... Their, their hair, if they had it, it was unkempt, or their head was shaved, bald. You covered the lower part of your face, and you had to cry out everywhere you went, unclean, unclean. And they would remain unclean as long as they had the infection. And they had to live alone. And they had to live outside the camp. That's what the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 13. And Moses instructed the people in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and in verse 8, He said, in cases of leprous diseases, be very careful to do exactly as the priests who are Levites instruct you. You must follow carefully what I have commanded them. So, this was both to protect other people from contamination and also to teach the people about sin and holiness and uncleanness and how it can't be in the camp. Are you seeing that? So this man was in a very desperate situation. Physically, the leprosy had disfigured his face and his body. Socially, the leprosy had isolated him from other people. Spiritually, he is unable to participate in the religious community. Can you imagine you can't come to church? You can't be with your fellow brothers and sisters? Many people viewed leprosy as a punishment of God on top of that. So if you had leprosy, not only were you dealing with all that, you were also dealing with people shunning you, thinking you did something wrong to have what you had. There was no cure for leprosy. And it was considered as difficult to heal from leprosy as it was to raise someone from the dead. And so this was truly a hopeless situation for this leper, apart from Jesus. And in the midst of this hopeless situation, this leper comes reverently, to Jesus, and he humbles himself. He humbles himself, and he bows, literally, on the ground. The Bible says he worshiped Jesus. So notice his reverent posture. He bows down before Jesus. Notice his reverent language. He addresses Jesus as Lord. Notice his humility. He does not presume upon Jesus, but he just simply submits himself to Jesus' will. Notice he doesn't even ask specifically to be healed. He just makes the statement, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
He has no, he has no doubt at all about Jesus' power to heal him. If Jesus wills it, it's going to happen. And so this leopard comes boldly, reverently, and humbly, and confidently to Jesus for healing. It's also interesting that the leper says, you can make me clean rather than you can heal me. Really mark that. Either really would have been correct, but leprosy was such a defiling disease, and so healing here is defined as cleansing. And last of all, I want you to notice that the leopard or the leper comes specifically to Jesus for cleansing. His, his, it wasn't a general faith. It was specific. Lord, I, I know you can cleanse me if you're willing. And what does Jesus show? Mercy. He shows compassion. The leper submits himself to Jesus' will, and Jesus responds to the leper. It's so beautiful as he shows compassion and his ability to heal. Look, look at verse 3 now as we, we look at this. And he says, Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Bam. Immediately. Everybody say, immediate. His leprosy was cleansed. Do you know what the priests would often do when they saw a leper? Turn around and run the other way. Have you ever seen someone approaching you and maybe you didn't like them? And you saw them before they saw you? And you walked the other way before they saw you? That's kind of the idea here. Here Jesus reaches out his hand. And he touches the man. Church, the Bible says that he was full of leprosy. But Jesus was full of compassion. And Jesus could have just spoken words of healing, but I want you to notice this. He puts out his hand and touches him. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Because the letter of the law says you don't touch a leper. Hold on to that thought. Put it in the back burner. We're going to touch it. Touching a leper. Nobody touched a leper. Well, why, Pastor? Well, first of all, you are seriously afraid of catching the disease. It'd be like someone back in 2020 who had full-on COVID symptoms standing in front of you, breathing on you, sneezing on you, and getting it all over you. Are you with me? Secondly, touching a leper would then make you ceremonially unclean, and nobody wanted to be unclean, right? You don't want to affect yourself by someone else's problem. So what do you think this leper thought as Jesus reaches out to touch him? I mean, he, he had probably not been touched, physically, since he had contracted leprosy. you remember how that was even during COVID? You couldn't hug, couldn't hardly even see their face. You couldn't even see their face. Couldn't even see anybody, somebody smile with all the masks. See, all of this, the, 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 the crowd, I wonder, I wonder what they thought as Jesus touches them. I, I bet they thought, what is he doing? 
he's going to become unclean. More importantly, what did Jesus think as he reached out and touched the leper? Do you know what I believe? I believe Jesus saw a man in need with faith, and he showed him compassion, and he healed him. And I think it is significance that Jesus did not cleanse the leper first and then touch him. He touched him first, then he cleansed him. And it's the same way with our sin. You see, Jesus does not require us to be clean first. Get your act together, and then I'll save you. He does not require you to be clean before he touches you with salvation. Jesus reaches out and touches you where you are with all your sin, in your adultery. Where are your accusers? I'm not going to accuse you, but go and sin no more. You don't clean up to take a bath. You take a bath to get clean. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? God? You don't have to get cleaned up to go take a bath. I remember as a kid, man, you already don't want to get a bath. Why would I want to get cleaned up to get back in that thing? Get me in that thing, get me out, clean me up, and get me on. Amen? And so, touching the leper should have made Jesus unclean, literally. But with Jesus, and I want you to follow with me on this, with Jesus, he brought the kingdom of God on the earth. So with Jesus... Touching the leprosy, it's like the, it, it's, it's the opposite. Leprosy didn't affect Jesus. Jesus affected leprosy. Can I get an amen? You see, Jesus, he is perfect. He's more powerful than the sickness. He's more powerful than the devil. He is holy. He's sinless. He can't be corrupted by sin. So when Jesus reaches out and touches us, there is no danger of him being contaminated by our sin. Rather, we are cleansed by his holiness. Do you see that? You see, Jesus responds to the leper with two brief sentences, each of which are a single word in the Greek, by the way. They're just two single words, two sentences in our English. He literally says, I am willing, one Greek word, and be cleansed, one Greek word. Now, Notice how Jesus' words mirror the leper's words. The leper said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus responds, I am willing, be clean. And I like the way the J.B. Phillips translation of Scripture uh, translates Jesus' response. Listen to this. In the Phillips translation, the leper says, if you want to, you can make me clean. And then Jesus responds, of course I want to. Be clean. I have in my office a portrait of Jesus right behind my desk. I see it every time I see my computer. I look up at it very often, and it's Jesus laughing. And I love that about Jesus. He's a happy guy. How do I know? He said, I came to give you joy. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. Not like the world gives. That's up and down. That's like a roller coaster. In church, the Bible says, Jesus said, I'm willing, be cleansed, and that's exactly what happened. When Jesus reached out and touched the leper, immediately he was cured of his leprosy. The Gospel of Luke, and why I say he was full of leprosy, the Gospel of Luke, if you look at chapter 5 and verse 12, it says the man was covered with leprosy. 
He was full of leprosy. He had it bad. And yet, immediately, he is healed. Now, I want you to think of this. His feet, his legs, his belly, his arms, his neck, his face, the leprosy, all gone. Immediately. Think of that. Gone in an instant. That is the power Jesus demonstrates in this miracle. He has the power to make clean in an instant what was full of sickness. So he has, number one, power to cleanse. Secondly, I'm going to go ahead and say this. Jesus honors the law. Because there are some that look at this and say, "Uh, uh-uh, Jesus broke the law. He touched that leper. Remember I told you to put it on the back burner? Go ahead and take it off. Bring it to the front because we're fixing to put it under the fire. The first thing we learn from this passage today, Jesus has the power to make clean. But secondly, I want you to notice how Jesus actually honors the law. Look at verse 4. After he's cleansed, it says this in Matthew 8, and Jesus says to him, see that you tell no one. But go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus is following the law. Now watch this. Immediately after he heals the leper, he instructs him not to tell anyone. Now that's already opposite of the way most humans would operate. Say, hey, tell everybody about this miracle and bring them back tonight at 8 o'clock for our evangelistic service so we can heal some more folk. He says, don't tell anyone, but go to the priest and offer the gift that Moses said. So the man, he may have been cleansed of his leprosy, but he was still ceremonially unclean until he went to the priest, and the priest said, you're clean. So that was part of the Old Testament. It's recorded in Leviticus 14, if you're interested in that. The man would literally, here's what he would have to do. Now, he's not in Jerusalem. He's up in about Capernaum. They're up about 100 miles away from Jerusalem. The high priest, is he's in Jerusalem. So watch this. What he was saying to that man is he would have to go down to Jerusalem for this inspection by the high priest. The healing that took place up near Capernaum, as I said, 100 miles away. So he would have had to travel 100 miles away, most likely on foot. And once this leper arrived in Jerusalem, the priest would examine him to make sure that he was clean. And after that, there was a specific ritual that he would have to go through. He would, he would, it would involve two birds. One was going to be killed, and the other would have to be released. The man would then need to wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe with water. Then there was an additional cleansing ritual on the seventh day. And then on the eighth day, he would have to bring three animals in for sacrifice, one for the guilt offering, one for a sin offering, and one for a burn offering. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you don't live back then? Aren't you glad you're this side of the cross? Folks, that's a lot of work. But that's what Jesus said to do. That's why I said Jesus honored the law. He said, yeah, but he touched him. Keep, hang with me for a minute. We're going to still get there. Why was it so important for the man to do all these things? It was important because it was the only way for this man to be restored to his community before the cross. 
Even though he was already healed, the priest still needed to examine him and pronounce him clean before he could go back to his family and go back to his friends. It was also part of the ceremonial law for Israel. Jesus was often accused of breaking the law, and he was there by touching the leper. But this is a testimony that Jesus honored the law, and he actually encouraged others to honor the law too. He actually even said this, I didn't come to to destroy it or to take it away. I came to fulfill it. And when he would talk to the Pharisees, he was like, you know, you guys, you're straining out a gnat. And, and you're swallowing a camel. I mean, I mean you're, you're telling these people, he said, it, basically he was saying, there's nobody that can be, do what you're asking them to do. He said, you make them twice the sons of hell than they were before they got here. Did Jesus say that? Is that in the Scripture? Yeah. Do you see how Jesus deals with religiosity? Jesus is not into religion. Jesus is not into us just being religious. He wants us to know it's not the letter of the law because it kills. You can't do it. How many of you know they can't do it? You can't can't get saved. How many of you know that there was not one Jewish person who died? Abraham was looking forward to what happened on the cross. So was David. Every one of those people who came and they offered sacrifice, all they did, when that, when that, when that priest went in on the Day of Atonement that one time a year and he offered that, that blood on the altar, all that did with their sin is it pushed it ahead one more year. It didn't wipe it away. And that's why there is a difference between forgiveness and atonement. What Jesus did on the cross was not atonement. And I... I know I'm probably battling with a word here, but he didn't simply atone for our sins. He forgave them. The Bible said, cast him as far as the east is from the west. He wiped sin when he was on the cross and he died that day. It took sin all the way back to Adam and fulfilled what the law couldn't do. That's why I'm saying he fulfilled the law. Now, you might, not, you might wonder, why did Jesus tell him not to tell anyone about the healing? Jesus would often, you'll see this, you'll see this throughout Scripture, he would often tell people to tell no one, every person that he healed, he said, keep quiet about it. And the reason he was doing that is he was avoiding confrontation with the Jewish leaders until the time was right. And he was guarding against premature conflict with these authorities. He had to wait for the specified time to go to the cross. In the Gospel of Mark, we learned that the man, he went out, and what does he do? He tells everyone. I mean, of course, figures, right? He's healed. Man, it's awesome. It's good news. And so Jesus tells the leper to be quiet. He goes out. He tells everyone. Jesus tells people today, go out and tell everyone. And too often, we remain quiet. Can I get an amen? Oh, my, oh, me. You know, some people say Jesus broke part of the law, however, when he touched him. But remember this, touching a leper was not allowed in order that leprosy would not spread. So let's deal with it. The purpose of that law, don't touch a leper, was to quarantine the person. However, since Jesus was not at risk of being affected because he is God, he was not breaking the spirit of the law. And he was actually showing mercy, not sacrifice. Are you with me? 
See, people weren't supposed to touch lepers because the disease would spread, but Jesus touched the man so that the cure could spread. You know, also Jesus spoke often. He just said, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he said there's a second one that's just like it. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. So Jesus, he did keep God's law perfectly in all respects. Matthew five seventeen. do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I came to not abolish but to fulfill. So that's the second point. Third point as I end is Jesus has the power to cleanse you from sin. Point one was, he has the power to cleanse. Point two is, he honored the law. And then finally, he has the power to cleanse us from sin. Once again, remember this. Jesus' miracles all had a spiritual meaning as well. Leprosy is a symbol of the uncleanness of sin. Like sin, it disfigures. Like sin, it contaminates. Like sin, it spreads. Like sin, it isolates. And like sin, it's not curable by man. Because we are powerless to cleanse ourselves, but Jesus has the power to make us clean from sin. Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for us without sin. And when we trust him as Savior, Jesus presents us to himself as perfectly clean in him. Because Christ is both priest and sacrifice. See, in the Old Testament, you had a priest and you had a sacrifice. In the New Testament, you have the priest and the sacrifice. Same one. That's why I'm saying, and I'm careful with my words on this, Jesus didn't spill his blood because spilling is an accident. Any time you you spill milk, that's an accident. You didn't mean to do that. But if if your little kid takes and they they knock their, their milk over and it's an accident, then you see them with the milk carton and they're just out there doing this, that... That's not an accident. That's on purpose. And that's what Jesus did. He poured out his blood willingly. So we're powerless to cleanse ourselves, but Jesus has the power to make us clean. He offers himself as the perfect sacrifice for us when we trust him as Savior. And we are the recipients of that grace. Ephesians 5, remember this. Ephesians 5 talks about the church. And in verses 25 through 27, it says that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for us to make us holy, cleansing us by the washing of the water through the word in order to present us to himself as a radiant church without spot or wrinkle, without stain, without any wrinkles, no other blemish, only holy and blameless. How does he do it? Through his blood. Just as the leper obeyed the ceremonial law and he went through the ritual washing and the cleansing, so Jesus washes us clean spiritually to present us to the Father as a radiant church without any stain, without any wrinkle, without any blemish. We're called his bride. Folks, can you imagine a bride on her wedding day showing up at the wedding with a wrinkled dress, a broken off heel, a stain down the back of her train, front teeth knocked out, veil half-cocked, 
and going, here I am, baby. I think that groom would probably go, hey, honey, what happened? It's going to be bad pictures. We paid a lot of money for that photographer. Hello? Can you imagine Jesus? He wants a church. He wants a bride without spot, without wrinkle. He doesn't want us dabbling in sin. He doesn't want us drinking of the world and drinking of Him. Amen? The Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus purifies us from sin. Let me close with these thoughts. John 1.1, 1, 1, 1 John 1, listen to this. Just simply listen. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. And if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. Look at your neighbor. Look up here at me. All of us are sinners without Him. But if we will confess our sin, He said He is faithful and He is just and He will forgive you of your sin and purify you from all unrighteousness. Doesn't matter what you did. Remember, nothing impure, and I want, to, I want you to really grab this before we leave. Nothing impure is going to make it to heaven. Not everybody that dies goes there. Contrary to sometimes the sermons at the funerals. Revelation 21, 27 says, And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You say, hey, who's in that book? Everybody that's accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Everybody who accepted what Jesus did on the cross. And just like the leper, we can't cleanse ourselves. Only Jesus has the power to make you clean. Only Jesus has the power to make you clean for heaven. So the leper was full of leprosy, and people all around us today are full of sin. The only question remaining is, will we, like the leper, come to Jesus for cleansing? Just like the leper... People's situation that are living in sin is hopeless apart from Christ. The leper believed Jesus could heal him personally. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe Jesus can forgive your sin? Not just forgive your sin, but forgive you. And not just forgive you, but make you clean. To cleanse you from all unrighteousness to make you completely clean. And you know what, church? We can hide things from people, but God sees them. I've often used this illustration. Right now, this looks like a 100% pure water, but you don't know if there's just 100% in there. I mean, I trust the company, but if I happen to look at this and it said 99.9% pure water, 0.1% raw sewage. 
Thank you very much. I'm not going to have it. Well, but, but Pastor, it's 99.9% pure. No, I want 100%. I don't want 0.1% in me going to heaven. Are you with what I'm saying? And I want you to notice this, and I think sometimes we don't, we don't comprehend this. And I know I've gotten just a little over 11, but why won't everybody be in heaven? I mean, if God is love, why wouldn't everybody be there? But we know, according to Revelation 21, not everyone's going to be there. Now, I want to ask you, does God have the power to forgive sin without anybody asking for forgiveness? Would he have the power to do that if he wanted to do that? But that's not the way he set it up. See, we can't get to heaven without us. See, a lot of times we think, well, I can't get to heaven without Jesus. But you know what? You can't get to heaven without you. Because you'll never get saved. You'll never get healed. You'll never get cleansed unless you, like the leper, are fed up with the leprosy, are fed up with the sin, and you come and you say to Jesus, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I've tried everything I can do, and I can't get clean. And he said, of course I'm willing. Come on, I'll clean you up. He has the power to make clean. But notice, it's the leper that came to Jesus asking to be cleansed. And when you come to Jesus in faith believing, I want to assure you he will never turn you away. Do you hear that? Never. When you come to Christ saying, if you will, you can make me clean, he'll respond every time, of course I will. Be clean. And then miraculously, immediately, you are, and guess what? Revelation 21, that name is written in that Lamb's book of life. And that Lamb is Jesus. That's the power of the love of Christ and the power of His miracle power. Bow with me. I pray all over this room and all over the airwaves that this message is going forth whenever it's being watched or whenever it's being heard. If you need the forgiveness of God, it's not hard. You just simply have to say, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, all over this auditorium and all over the world, you speak to hearts right now. Holy Spirit, you speak to hearts and they come to you. They just simply follow you. Those that are tired, those that are sick, those that are done with trying to fix it themselves, come. Come to him today. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're in agreement with that, would you say a big amen? Amen. Healing number one, cleansing the leper. Are you ready for this series? God is good. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week and uh, tell others about him. Love you guys. God bless.